I didn't get the high sign. Y'all don't see what I see. Yes, I did a little bit, but not too bad. I didn't watch it very long. I was in a hurry. Okay, today is September the 22nd, 2011. Let's prepare ourselves in our usual fashion. We'll have a few moments of silent prayer, the option of rebound if necessary. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that you are our God, that you are always there, available, a very present help in time of trouble. And there is plenty of trouble going around, and it appears that it will get worse before it gets better. But we know it will get better. We have a personal sense of eternal destiny because of your marvelous promises that you have made. And we know that those promises will come to fruition because history shows us that every jot and tittle of your word is true and we can completely rely upon it. We are here to feed upon your word. We need it desperately. We need it as much as we need the oxygen that we breathe. So we pray that you will help us to understand, to inculcate, to Put into long-term memory the things that we study this evening. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I did watch the news a little bit. And I'm just struck by how many things. The the statistics are just nearly overwhelming. I was looking at one part tonight and it said, it focused on the young people from the ages of 16 to 29. And they said they are being affected by this uh, economy uh, as much, if not more, than most people. They said between that ages of 16 and 29, that only 55% have jobs. That means that is an unemployment rate of 45%. And it also said that the number of children living at home with their parents now has skyrocketed because they can't afford to live by themselves, uh, more so than, uh, I think, all these statistics. They don't even compare until after World War II when there was a a housing shortage that they had so many uh, of this younger people who were living at home. I started thinking about how do people that have no frame of reference for who God is, what His Word is about, what do they do when they face these crises without faith rest? And most people on this planet, very few, maybe 1% or 2%, if that many, even have a clue of what faith rest is. And I'm not talking about just that term, because that's a term that we use that designate a specific doctrine, a very important one. But how many... Even believers don't even have the concept of what faith resting is. They don't have the doctrine in their soul to rely on. And aren't you grateful for God and His Word? Aren't you grateful that you have that concrete, solid foundation that you can always go to and rely on? And that you can have a divine viewpoint perspective 
that when things start to crash about you, you just say, all right, God, here I am. I'm just your servant. You're providing for me. You're my protector. You're my provider. And I'm just waiting to see how you're going to do your thing. Uh, that, that type of viewpoint is fairly rare. When you think about uh, those people, 600 homes lost in the Bastrop area, many around Houston, the prospect for rain of any rain of consequence doesn't look that promising. They said, uh, I heard someone say that the, this drought could last another year or maybe even two years. Already people are affected in a big way. I don't know what the cattlemen, the farmers, all the people that rely on uh, rain for crops, for their livestock, the people who cut hay for a living. I saw no one cutting hay around this area myself. There was, the, the, when I drive home, it's nothing but dirt. I don't even see grass anymore. I don't see cows anymore, very few. And so we might be in for a lot of adversity yet. But we, our job is to not dread it. And that's something that will only be conquered by divine viewpoint, by doctrine circulating in your stream of consciousness. We don't have to dread because we know that whatever the circumstances may be that come our way, we have within us that which is greater than is in the world, that which is promises to provide for us, protect us, and all these things. So I thought, before we get started tonight, I just thought I would remind you as you continue to see the newscast. I know some people that don't even watch it anymore. They say, I don't even watch the news. It brings me down. Well, it brings me down too, but not in the way that they're talking about. They're talking about absolute despair. They're talking about panic. There are people who uh, really can't sleep at night because they're afraid of the geopolitical situation and all the things that are developing. But we know this too must come to pass, don't we? We know that this world has not yet reached the saturation point of evil and there is still going to be a time that is going to be worse than any time there ever has been. That's the bad news. The good news is we're not going to be here. And we learned that in Second Thessalonians, didn't we? So we're in 2 Thessalonians. Let's return to our review. I'll put it up on the board for you. We're talking about the doctrine of separation. The doctrine of separation, we get this from verse 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And when Paul used that term, it's like putting an exclamation point on something. When he says he makes a command, that's one thing. But when he says he makes a command in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, it kind of gets your attention that you keep aloof from every brother who leads an unruly life and not according to the tradition or the doctrine which you received from us. Keeping aloof doesn't mean you become a snob and put your nose in the air and walk about and strut like you're better than anyone. Keeping aloof is a term that means to separate from. And we 
went over last time that there are two types of separation, and we spent quite a bit of time last last message with regards to mental separation. This is where you go to first. If there is a a necessity for you to separate from someone, if they are being offensive, if they're whatever it is that they are doing, what you want to do is go into mental separation, which is really you can use as a metaphor or a term to mean you need to switch to unconditional love. And we have to do that all the time. If you're not doing that, then probably you're doing quite a bit of sinning mentally. And what that means simply is, I don't have to repeat this, it's, it's you treat someone on the basis of your character, not theirs, upon the basis of how God treats us. He treats us in unconditional love and in reciprocation to the way He treats us, He commands us to treat others that same way. Quite different from what the world tells us to do. The world tells us to do what? Get even. Make them pay. Make them bleed. Get your pound of flesh. And everyone puts their stamp of approval on that. Except that's not the Christian way. It's not what God allows. So we went on to this about mental separation. And so I won't go over that again. The red mark there is just a little marker for me to remember where we ended. Now we're going to look at physical separation. Sometimes mental separation, just treating someone unconditional love will not cut it, and this is what we're going to look at. Physical separation, I'm looking at point two, by the way, means to avoid any personal contact with someone. You regard him or her as dead. It is a severance of all relationship with him or her of any kind. Now, you can tell from that description, this is not done over any trivial cause. This is a serious move that we are required to make. It's something that is not pleasant to separate from someone. Back years ago when the Quakers... Um, well, they might still call this shunning. Have you ever seen movies where Quakers, if you did something, they would shun you? The only problem usually with the Quakers, Mennonites, and others of that uh, stripe is they were very legalistic and they would separate over legalism, legalistic things, and that is a distortion. But there is a place for separation. We cannot avoid it. We can't overlook it because these are commands. We just saw... In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, that Paul commands on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you stand aloof, that you separate. You put space between you and others. And we can't just dismiss that because we're not comfortable with it. But we have to know all the facts. We have to do a right thing in the right way. So we look at more information here. Physical separation required when a wife or children are being abused. That's an example. Nowhere in the Bible will you find it compulsory for a wife to remain in a marriage where she is getting physically abused or the husband is abusing physically or sexually the children and so forth. That is a time to where mental separation, unconditional love is not appropriate you get the hell out of Dodge. Four. It is required when false doctrine is being taught in a local church 
or when someone has embraced false teaching and is promoting it. Listen to that very carefully, that last part. You don't separate from someone simply because they embrace a false doctrine necessarily, but you do for sure when they promote it. Two things in that point I want to address quickly. First of all, there are a lot of things that you are to tolerate. And and there is no such thing as a perfect local church. There's no such thing as a perfect pastor or a perfect Christian. You're not going to find that. So there is a, a, a... a measure of toleration that is expected of all of us. But what you do not tolerate is false doctrine. If you're in a church and they are teaching false doctrine, then it's time to find another church, another pastor, that is not going to steer you away from the truth. That is a legitimate ground to leave a church. Now, as far as friends, acquaintances, family, when someone embraces a false doctrine, you're going to have to automatically switch to unconditional love because it's easy to get into an argument with someone where the veins in the neck start to pop out, the eyes widen, the pupils enlarge, and you can really go at it. But that's not what we are to do. We are to stand firm for the faith. See, this is where discernment comes in. We are not to to retreat into the shadows every time someone disagrees with our doctrines. I could say orthodox doctrines. Truth. We don't just, every time they challenge us on something, we don't retreat. But there is a time to not make an issue of something and there's a time to stand firm and not to retreat. And I can't tell you every case. You just have to have the filling of the Holy Spirit who will guide you and give you that unction, if you will, as to when it's time to stand firm and when it's time to let something go. Generally speaking, if the gospel is at stake, you don't let it go. You stand firm for your faith and maybe others. But... When someone embraces a false teaching and they are promoting it, they're trying to sway you to their way. And you can't get to the point to where you can agree to disagree because they will continue to bring it up and challenge you and they're no longer listening to your viewpoint, then you have to, there's no other choice because they will bring you down and there's not much of a relationship left there anyway. And unfortunately, there have been, Doctrine has split families many times under issues that they should not split. If, let me give you for instance. You have a family member, you have a friend or whoever, and they are a big tither. They're so proud of their tithing. And you understand that tithing is not compulsory. Tithing was an income tax, essentially, for the Jews, for Israel. In the New Testament, you have in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 9, it talks about uh, giving as you are moved or motivated to give, not under compulsion. But let's say you have someone that is a, a, a tither, and you somehow you get on the, the subject of giving. Is that an issue to separate over? 
Normally not so. Now, if, if they brought in that, well, I know that I'm saved because I haven't missed a Sunday in tithing, then you might have to stand a little firmer. It takes discernment. And that's one reason this is hard is because you can't have a hard and fast rule. But this is a guideline when a church starts teaching false doctrine. Whenever you hear me that it's not faith alone in Christ alone anymore, uh, you have to be baptized, you have to be a good person, you have to go to church, you have to comb your hair on the right, or whatever else it is, that's time for you to hit the exit. Number five, it is required when somebody is guilty of a grievous sin and will not acknowledge that they have done anything wrong. Now, the key word in that sentence is grievous. You can't use a, a sin because someone said something snippy at you or someone said they were going to be somewhere or they said something. It, this is grievous sins. For instance... If you have a friend or a family member, and to your surprise, they come out of the closet and they say, Well, here I am, old gay me, and you have, you, this is the time that you have to do something that may be very difficult. This is when they are advocating it. Now, there are people who know that homosexuality is a sin... And they're striving to, to conquer this. They know it's wrong. They admit it's wrong. And they're trying. This isn't someone who you would separate from. Because we all have those some kind of issues, don't we? We all have weaknesses in our old sin nature that we have a predilection, a tendency to sin. It's the person that says, no, it's not a sin. And you accept me the way I am. Or else you don't accept me. Well, what do you do? You don't accept them. You have, to, you have to separate from them. Because if you don't, you're condoning that sin. You're saying essentially, well, it really doesn't matter that much. My relationship with you is more important than the sin you're committing. And there is no relationship worth that. Because it won't last anyway. Once you start condoning that, the relationship is going to go south and it's not going to, not going to matter anyway. I'll, sh I'll tell you how powerful this is. I guess you could call it approbation lust, maybe. I'm not sure. But even in this church, and I can say this because I don't know if there's anybody here, maybe one or two that was here uh, when this particular thing took place. Uh, I'm talking about at least 17, 18 years ago, which most of y'all weren't here then. Um, there was a, a couple that left this church and went to another church here in Brenham. <clears throat> and they went to a church where one of the things that they, they do at that church is uh, they believe in water baptism. They left a doctrinal church to go to another church that was not doctrinally sound. And yet there were a number of believers here that hadn't, Understood. Maybe I had not taught this at that, at that point. And they thought the loving thing to do was to go with them to their church. Certain people were invited to go to their baptism. And so they, they went from this church to their baptism and visited them. And, to, and the whole motivation, we want to show our love to them. We want to show that we still love them. 
maybe this isn't such a good example because whether someone gets water baptized or not, it's not that big a deal as far as I'm concerned. But what, the, the, the point is that they would really extend themselves to identify with another church. And when you had people from this church over there identified with that, that's going further than, the, than you should do. When someone leaves a church, when someone walks away because it's not, they no longer agree to the doctrine or whatever it is, it's not pleasant. And it doesn't hurt any of you anymore and probably not as much as it hurts me. Because I can't tell you how many people have left this church that I truly loved and I was close to. But there would be something in doctrine, something would happen, and they left. And it hurts. But you have to let them go. You don't show them love by pandering to whatever it is. When you, when you, when you act as if it doesn't matter then it's condoning something that is not right in their spiritual life. And they think, oh, well, it must be okay. I leave and everybody still loves me. They, there's, there's no difference. I'm going to take you to a Scripture in our in Second Thessalonians that says if someone does not accept the doctrine that I've taught in this letter, you separate from them. You put space between you. And that's not happening so much. Because people don't understand. They think that the loving thing to do is just to keep the relationship going as if nothing happened. You can still love them, but when you try to act as if it, nothing, that there's still no separation there, as if uh, you still love them, you can still love them, but you can't love them by acting as if nothing happens and it doesn't matter because it does matter. When someone is guilty of a grievous sin, it doesn't necessarily have to be a grievous sin, but let me tell you something. When someone rejects doctrine and starts embracing a false doctrine, when they, when, when they leave a church where they are getting doctrinal sustenance every time they are there, and they go for something else. Now, I'm not talking about people who leave, leave a doctrinal church, wherever it may be, and they go to another church because they move. They're going somewhere else. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about someone who uh, goes to a, another a, another church because um, it's just a particular event. Somebody's getting married there. There's something special going on. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking when someone leaves because they are no longer accepting doctrine that is true. And they want something else. Usually, you know what this happens? So many times I've seen it happen here. It's not necessarily that they're, it's the doctrine that is being taught is false. It, this has happened a few times. I had somebody leave this church one time over the blood of Christ. I was teaching that the blood of Christ is not referring to the physical blood of Christ. Christ did not bleed to death on the cross, and we'll not be singing there's power in the blood in this church. And they left over that. And I said, look, I, I, I gave them booklets. I talked to them. The blood of Christ is referring to the spiritual death of Christ. 
The reason they call it the blood of, blood of Christ because it references and it gets back to the animal sacrifices, which was a preview of what Christ was going to do on the cross. Sometimes it's over a doctrinal issue like that. But many times, if not most of the time, they get bored. They want the programs. I've had people leave this church because they said, well, the kids just really need more. We don't have the programs. We don't have the retreats, the razzmatazz, the buses, the, all the other things. And of course, where they're going, where they went, they got the programs, but you know what they didn't get? They didn't get what they need, which is the Word of God. Children need Word of God just as much as we do. It's very rare to find a church that has programs and doctrine also. Nothing, you know, I'm not saying that a, a program is anathema for a church. All I'm saying is that nearly every time I see a church that emphasizes programs, it's to the detriment of doctrine rather than getting exegetical theological, systematic doctrine taught, well, let's go, let's go in the mountains and we'll have a ski trip or we'll have a retreat over here, all the other things. we have all the games and so forth. That never works because you can't compete with the world. Churches that try to keep young people there and their parents there in order to appease the kids, it never works because the void is still in their soul. They're not getting doctrine. And there's not a church that was that there ever was that could compete, compete with all the glitter and all the programs that the world has. Proper function, number three. Mental separation should always precede physical separation. Physical separation is not a license for believers to separate from people they don't like or they may hate. You shouldn't hate anyone anyway. You can hate what someone does. You can hate the sin that they may be in. But you don't hate the person. You know what the Bible tells us to do about people who offend us and who are offensive and who have wronged us in a grievous way? You know what we're to do for them? Do you? Pray for them. Have you ever done that? I've done it. You'd be surprised. How, what a load it takes off of you because when you have revenge in your heart, you have hatefulness for someone and they have really wronged you. When you pray for that person as we are commanded to do, it's just like a big load melting off of you. You just think, well, what's the big deal anyway? So we're not to hate anyone and it's not an excuse for the people you don't like to shun them or avoid them. Separation does not mean you are superior or better than those you must separate from. Why? Because we're all sinners. And you have to be careful of that because if you have the situation where you are mandated by the Bible to separate from someone, you have to be very careful that you're not, you don't come across as better than thou. I think it's a good idea to tell someone who you must separate from that you are a sinner and you are no better than them. But you have learned from God's Word that it is mandatory that you separate from people who are involved in things that are evil, wicked, sinful, grievously 
and they're not acknowledging it. They won't recognize that this is the case. And God says separate from because they will bring you down. Over a period of time, this whole country has been brought down to the level to where now we have homosexuals openly serving in the military and everybody yawns. We have people in high places, in office, and you don't have to look far. Any further left, there are parades and celebrations for to honor where the people are stand up. Oh, that's all I won't have as long as they can. To offend God and be the D here. I, you don't see there? Do that all. Separation protects by people who would hinder spiritual growth. Is the piece of head not if you're, if you're saying, well, it's so hard that they have a and they need to humble themselves and acknowledge it to him. People who, in Thessalonians 3.15, are people who are ill, who need responsibility for what they have done, are made. That's the point. They're not saying to you, you have to deal with hunger. Separationally, I think about Join us. Corinthians so report that there is immorality among youth and immorality of such kind as doesn't house that someone has his father's wife. And you have come arrogant not warned instead that one who had done this my mistake. They accepted them. They were not in the man to say. Now later on, they got the gist this. They removed this one from their midst. This is in Second Corinthians. And they wouldn't change their mind. This was mission. In that special man and do not word. I mean, call them to your side in in increasing. you play a womb, work for emotions. They just live by their emotions and by the right from to have carried out the desires of the accepted joint. There's a knife. Before here, I don't think we have any uh, dastardly immoral people here. You go outside of these grounds, outside of this church, and go out into the world, how far do you have to go before you start running into gross immorality? Not far. Unfortunately, even in some of the churches, they are advocating, they are putting their stamp of approval on immorality. I've talked to people who are in churches. I've talked to deacons in churches that were not married and they were living together, they were shacking up, and they didn't hide it and everybody thought that was fine. I think that's a 1 Corinthians chapter 5 issue myself. The one about the, the guy that was in the incest. I wrote you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. I did not at all mean with the immoral people of this world. What is he talking about? He's talking about unbelievers. We don't have any say over unbelievers. He's talking about we are to... Uh, to disassociate ourselves with believers who are immoral and proud of it. And then he goes on to explain, I did not at all mean the immoral people of this world, unbelievers, are with the covetous and swindlers, are with idolaters, for then you would have to go out of the world. What he's saying is when you leave the church, when you leave your cadre of believers, and you go to work or you go to school or wherever you go, you're in the world, and he's saying, don't separate from people out there, the unbelievers, because you're going to be all by yourself. They're everywhere. He's talking about believers here, making the distinction. But, he says, actually, I wrote to you not to associate with any what? 
so-called brother, a believer, if he should be an immoral person or covetous or an adulterer or a reviler or a drunkard or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. What have I to do with judging outsiders? He's saying unbelievers. We don't judge unbelievers. What are you going to give a moral code to an unbeliever for? That's not even the issue. The issue with an unbeliever is what think you of Christ. Faith alone in Christ alone, that's what you emphasize with unbelievers. We don't judge what they do. What does it matter what they do? Do you not judge those who are within the church? Now, you think, now with believers, that's a different issue. They're brothers. You have to use discernment. If there's a person in the church and they are into gross immorality and they are flaunting it, you cannot ignore it. But those who are outside, that would be unbelievers, God judges. Remove the wicked man from among yourselves. You hear that? Does that sound like a request? No. Fortunately, in the nearly 20 years that we've been here, and I've been here, I've never had to throw someone out on this cause. But it doesn't mean that the principle is not there. That's one reason it's important for us to keep our mouths shut. Don't go around blabbing all your personal things to everybody. We don't. You're getting close to where you might say something to where somebody says, "What?" And then they have to separate from you. Then it's a whole mess. See. So just keep your keep your privacy, private things, private. That way we can have a homosexual come in here. We can have a couple come in here who are shacking up, we could have a bank robber, we could have a serial murderer come in here, and if they keep their mouth shut and we don't know about it, they can sit there and get the Word of God and it's not blurred or muddied the water by something that they have blabbed. Now, obviously, if a serial murderer comes in here and we find out that that's the case, either he's going to be here by himself or everybody's going to leave anyway. <laughs> That one will take care of itself. Remove the wicked man from among yourselves. Now, this is something that's hard. A lot of people don't understand. Oh, well, that's unloving. The whole world, this is the deception. This is the satanic lie. When someone gets into homosexuality, when someone gets into any kind of immoral, immorality, even if they break the law, if they, if they just do go into gross things, what does the world say? Oh, well, I love you anyway, and my relationship will be the same. I have wanted to throw up on more than one occasion when I was watching some talk show, and somebody's, uh, I remember uh, it was Ellen DeGeneres was one of them, and uh, her mother was on there, and they said, well, what did you think about Ellen when she came on the, on the clock? Well, you know, I don't know, but all I know is I love her. I love her just the same. I love her just like she is. Well, you can love her like she is, but you can't be around her when she is, when she's continuing to... Uh, and, and it's all accepted today. I spent several hours today responding to a letter uh, uh, on this very issue. And, and we have to... The world is accepting it, and we have to stand up and say, No! It is, it is despicable. It's an abomination to God. And I will stand for righteousness whatever it costs. And I am not a prude. I am not a legalist. 
somebody's got to stand up for right sometime, and this is the time. And if it costs a relationship, so be it. I am commanded by God to do it, and I'm going to do it. Doesn't that sound good? That's right. That's what we're supposed to do. Instead of all this milly-mouth, pansy-wansy, hey, well, I love them anyway. I'm sorry, just... That's why I get tired of hearing it. The Bible is not... It's not... Uh, what, is they, what do they call that... Uh, Malto meal or, um, yeah, I'm thinking of mush. It's kind of like uh, uh, pablum. There you go. It's not pablum. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't know if I ever had pablum, but it sounds pretty mushy. And let's see what I got. Okay, well I'm gonna have to come to an end here. From super, superficial so, social life and apostate crowd, I think we'll draw a line in the sand right there from the superficial social life. Is there any of that going on around us, you think, in superficial social life? Huh? I wish more teenagers were here because this is, this is the, the biggest problem with them. Superficiality. And they have to be taught. And they are being taught, by the way, on Wednesdays. What's important they're learning the edification complex of the soul and how to reach that top floor of plus H. And it doesn't have anything to do with being popular or how good-looking you are or aren't, which are the two biggies with regards to teenagers. It always has been, probably always will be. That's what's most important. But young people need to have these things now. Listen, young people are under attack like we weren't. There are issues that they have to deal with that didn't even exist when I was a teenager. Not all that long ago. Okay, I said, well, we're going to throw the anchor out here and we'll begin there next time. I know that this, this issue of separation is not pleasant. I wish it wasn't there, but it is there and we have to obey the commands and I'm trying to give you the principles that go along with it so we can do the right thing in the wrong way because if you separate from someone and you don't have the proper grounds, it can do a lot of harm. If you don't separate from someone when you do have the grounds and you should do it, it can also do a lot of harm. So we have to be alert and be able to apply these principles. Let's close. Father, thank you for your word that spells out for us the things that you require of us things that might be hard to do. We pray that you will give us the discernment as to when to do it, how to do it, and always in love, always with a prayerful attitude that your light may shine in them and enlighten them so that they can understand that they're on a collision course with disaster, that they have bought Satan's lie and there's nothing but misery in it for them. So we pray that you will help us to remember these things, to apply them at the right time in the right way. For we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.